everybody, and welcome to Coach's Corner. Sex, sexuality, your sexual expression, eroticism. Do I have your attention? (laughs) What happens inside of you when I say those words, or you think about sex and sexuality and eroticism and your sexual expression? Do you notice some anxiety comes up? Do you stop breathing? Do you get a little turned on? Are you thinking, oh, I don't know if this episode is for me? We have a lot of hangups around sex and sexuality that come from our past, that come from culture, that come from parents, that come from religious conditioning. I could go on and on and on in terms of where all these come from. And part of the human experience is sex and sexuality. Part of being in a human body is about experiencing pleasure. Yet for so many, because sexuality, our bodies were abused or violated or shamed or blamed or criticized or judged or didn't develop at the right time or don't look the quote unquote right way. We disconnect from a lot of our sexuality and it's an area of our life that isn't optimized. We also have an interesting relationship with consent I think most of you listening can think of a time that you engaged in something physically that you didn't really like. You went farther than you wanted to, or you did something for someone else's pleasure rather than your own. I wanted to dive into all of these topics, and there's no one better than Dr. Betty Martin, who is joining me today. I found Dr. Martin when Steph and I were researching, actually I think he found her, we were researching for our Elementum Coaching Institute. There's a module we teach on working with clients on the sexual level and sexual expression. And we were doing a bunch of research and came across her work and specifically the wheel of consent. And I was just blown away by the way that she talks about sex and especially the way she talks about consent. And we don't get too deep into the wheel of consent because she has a lot of free videos where she teaches about the wheel of consent. I'm going to put links in the show notes, highly encourage you to go and check out these videos. She has lots of free information on YouTube as well. We really just take the shame off of sexuality and I appreciate her perspective on it. I appreciate that as she says, she's an elder, she's a grandmother, and she's here to help all of us have more pleasure in our body and and release a lot of the hangups and hurt that we have around sex and sexuality. So I think you're really going to get a lot of value from this episode and just notice places where you may get triggered or you may feel uncomfortable and take a deep breath and just don't shame yourself for it. There's no, no reason for that. It's all about just having an open mind and open heart and being curious. And I encourage you to approach this episode with curiosity. Before we dive in, here's something I'm curious about. How are you getting all of your nutrition in? Especially in our modern world where quite frankly, food quality isn't that good. We kind of need to supplement to make sure that we're getting all the vitamins and nutrients and all the good yummy stuff into our body, which is why I love Organifi. It's a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with super high quality ingredients and less of three grams of sugar. Their mission is to unite the world through health and happiness by providing access to high quality nutrition, education, and community. So they use super high quality ingredients. Everything is super convenient. Like for example, their Organifi green juice comes in either a tub where you have your individual scoop or individual packets, which are great for travel. 
It's full of essential superfoods that reduce stress and reset your morning. It supports healthy cortisol levels and adds in weight management. There are 11 superfoods, 60, no, not 60, 600 milligrams of clinically proven ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen, which can help lower stress. Everything is 100% USDA certified organic. Like I said, it can decrease cortisol, helps reduce food craving, tastes delicious in plain water, no need for a blender, and it really is good. There's a lot of green powders that are kind of like not, not very good. <laughs> you have to mix them with other stuff. I drink Organifi straight. I love it. I love their red blend. I love their Organifi gold. I love all their products, and you will too once you order them. So for 20% off all of your orders, you can go to Organifi.com slash over it. That's O-R-G-A-N-F-I.com slash over it. And it's not just your first order. It's any order that you do 20% off all the time. Again, Organifi.com slash over it. Before we get to the interview, let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Betty Martin. She has had her hands on people professionally for over 40 years, first as a chiropractor, and upon retiring from that practice as a certified surrogate partner, sacred intimate, and somatic sex educator. We talk about what somatic sex educator is. Her explorations in somatic-based therapy and practices informed her creation of the framework, The Wheel of Consent. As part of her work with the School of Consent, she travels the world teaching practitioners how to create empowered agreements in their client sessions and her highly sought after training, Like a Pro, the Wheel of Consent for Practitioners. You can learn more about Betty Martin at bettymartin.org. And as I said earlier, I'm going to put links to her Wheel of Consent videos in the show notes as well. Enjoy my conversation with Dr. Betty Martin. Betty, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you being here with me and my audience. You are welcome. Thanks for having me. And I was sharing with you before we started recording that my husband and I were about to teach a module in our coaching institute, um, at Elementum Coaching Institute that we run with dear friends of ours, Alexi Panos and Preston Smiles. We we're about to teach a module on working with clients on the sexual level, just talking to them about sex, looking at their history around it. Obviously, when we're coaching a client, their sexuality is often part of the conversations. And we knew various quote unquote sex experts. We were like, oh, we don't, this isn't about a sex expert. This is who can we find that really understands consents, that understands the psychology that's involved, that understands mm-hmm. the nuances. And my husband found you and I just was like, oh my gosh, Betty Martin gets it. <laughs> she just, <laughs> she just gets it. And what I love is that you have this, a uh, beautiful ability to teach about consent and boundaries, but also make it totally okay for us to have pleasure and enjoy our bodies. And that's amazing. Yeah, That's amazing. So thank you for your work. Yeah, um, I'm obviously familiar with you. <laughs> Some of my audience may not be. Do you mind just sharing a little bit of your background as we get started in terms of what led you to do the work you do today? Sure. I'm an elder. I'm a grandmother. I'm a white, um, cisgender, um, mostly straight woman. And in my 40s, I took a workshop in women's sexuality and blew the lid off my little white picket fence (laughs) perspective. (laughs) And I learned a lot about myself. I continued working with some other people, exploring, exploring and experimenting with some other people in that realm and um, just really took a deep dive into what is Eros and what does it mean and what is it? What is my body capable of? And what does it feel like to be in extended states of arousal? And 
to be supported in that. And um, so it wasn't about sex, meaning intercourse. It wasn't about that at all. It wasn't about hooking up. It was experimenting with what happens within me when I'm in these states and how's it work and what ha- what happens to me. So it was very much a self-discovery. So that went on for some years. And then I decided I want to offer this to other people. So I closed my chiropractic office. I was a chiropractor for 30 years. I closed my chiropractic office and moved into the city and opened a new studio doing what I called sacred intimate work, which Mm. can be defined very broadly. It's taking people into experiences of their own eroticism in ways that are useful and helpful for them. So it can have a, a healing bent. It can have a an self-awareness, self-discovery approach. And I did that for five or ten years and just really loved it. And the way I worked with people changed over the years and morphed. And, and that's kind of a different story. But so my work came out of my own personal journey into my own eros. Mm, that's the best and, way to yeah. be inspired. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I, I trust that way to learn mm-hmm. because I think it's it's very common for people to enter helping professions with the idea that, okay, I just want to help everybody else. But really, you got to do it yourself first yep. or you don't really have much to offer anyway. No. And you're just trying to heal yeah. yourself through helping others. And that, yeah, that definitely doesn't work. You, you, it's very easy to avoid your own work by trying to take on everybody else's. Yes. I, you know, I've been guilty of that. And I imagine many of us probably have. I think we all have more ways that we avoid our own work sometimes. Oh yeah. Especially, especially when it comes to work on the sexual level, because there's, there's, there can be so many blocks and and fears around that. And we'll, we'll definitely unpack that more. But one of the things that I read in your bio that you are is a somatic sex educator. Can Mm -hmm. you explain a little bit what somatic are in relation to sex and sex education and our sexuality? Sure. Somatic just means of the body. Mm-hmm. So a somatic experience means an experience of the body, which, which, which really, I mean, all experiences are of the body to some degree. But somatic means you are paying attention to what your body's experiencing. And you use the body in ways, maybe movement or breath or touch Um, or dance, or stretching, or yoga, or different things, you use the body as a way to explore who you are and how you feel. Mm. And we store Um, so much in the body, too. So so that's, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's what, that's what somatic means. Mm -hmm. And sex educator, somatic sex educator means that we do things together, as opposed to just talking. Mm. I mean, we also talk, but um, it's not like a, a sex therapist who is mainly going to, mainly going to talk with you. What yeah. kind of things would you do in a somatic sex session? First of all, I take people through a guided sort of set of um, physical experiments, playing with distance and touch and asking what they want and what they don't want, practicing saying yes and no, um, experimenting with different kinds of touch, um, maybe cuddling maybe massage, maybe erotic massage, 
Um, it may be letting people experiment with my body. It may be activity that would be more specifically sexual. Not necessarily, but that can sometimes happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. For, for people right now who might be noticing they're getting knots in their stomach or their chest is getting Yikes. a little tight and they're getting uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. What is this person talking I about? Know. This crazy person. What? Yeah. What? So explain what's, well, I don't think explain is the right word, but for people who may be going, going into judgment or going into fear or feeling some anxiety or feeling themselves shut down, can you talk to those people? Sure. Well, one thing that I learned in my journeys was that sex is not what I thought it was. <laughs> I <laughs> I had the idea that sex means okay, this go this body part goes in this orifice <laughs> and you know, that's the thing and then something explodes and then that's a thing. <laughs> and there's A leads to B leads to C and you do this and this and this. And that is thankfully not at all true. I look at sex now as the state of arousal and the decision to act on it and pursue it. And if that involves someone else, doesn't necessarily involve someone else, but if it involves someone else, then you need to communicate and find out what they want, what they don't want, what you want, what you don't want, and, and so forth. But sexual play, I think of as a much broader um, set of options. We may be completely clothed. We may be across the room with, from each other, but we can talk and dance and show each other. And, you know, there's just a lot of things you can do that feel sexy that aren't quote sex unquote. And it turns out, and I, I didn't really know this until I started doing these, these experiments. It turns out that a lot of people would come to me because they thought they were having trouble with sex. Maybe they were coming too soon or they couldn't come or they were tense. They didn't know how to relax and so forth. And they thought the problem was sex. But once we slowed down and broke it down into smaller pieces, it turned out that the problem was they didn't know how to enjoy their skin or they didn't know how to relax in pleasure or they weren't comfortable with an experience of pleasure. It was too scary to be to experience pleasure. Or they didn't know how to have a boundary. Or they didn't know how to notice what they want and ask for it. Mm -hmm. So these things are not about sex at all. Mm -hmm. But they have a huge effect on your experience of sexual activity and sexual play. And so mostly most of my work was spent backing up to those basics. What's it feel like to be in your skin? What's it feel like to have a, your skin? What's it feel like to enjoy your skin? What's it feel like to have some boundaries and ask for what you want and notice that it's a tender place and it's a vulnerable place to ask for what you want. Of course it is. Yep. You know, when I say it was, uh, somatic sex education, or I used to call it um, a sacred whore, hmm. or with some people just the plain whore, that y you may think that means, okay, you're going to come in the door and we're going to fuck and then cool, mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. it. That's, mm -hmm. That is definitely not it. Mm -mm. And we are slowing way, way down 
to help you learn how to be in your skin. And it may not be very sexy at all. It may be kind of sexy sometimes. It really depends. But could be emotional. The, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's typically pretty emotional, actually, because when you have never been asked what you want and you don't know how, and then you have an opportunity to ask in a way that's very gentle and very safe, then you find out, oh, my gosh, there is this thing that I want. I want to be held. I want to have my my head stroked. I, I want to be kissed on my forehead. And then all the feelings of tenderness come up because you never got to ask for that before. Mm. And so then the tears would come up. And, you know, it wasn't about sex at all. Right. It was about learning how to ask for what you want. So I forgot how it kind of got off on that track. But, yeah, I, I guess for people who might be feeling a little yikes here mm-hmm. of that's totally natural yep. because we all have our stuff about pleasure, yep. about touch, about being touched and about touching others. We all have our stuff about, oh, do I deserve this? Is it safe here? Do I, is this okay with me? I don't know what I want. Is this going to happen? Something's going to happen that I don't want. Blah, 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 blah. We all have that. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's completely natural to feel a little uneasy here. Yeah, yeah. and it, 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 the uneasiness is an indicator to where we might have opportunities for ourselves. Yeah. You know, yes. I, I've done sexual somatic work with, I, well, I had Heike on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with Jonathan and Heike. They have something called Sextraordinary Living. And I interviewed Heike probably about, oh my gosh, was it already two years ago? And it definitely pushed me to my edges <laughs> for sure. And, you know, when I first learned about it, I was like, this is like, no, this is, this crosses the line. This is inappropriate. Like all my Catholic good girl judgment yeah. came up and I learned a couple things. One, and we're going to talk about this. Consent is huge. A sacred container is huge. Intention is huge. Boundaries are huge. Yeah. And it was some of the most powerful personal development work and trauma release work I have mm-hmm. ever done. It was just yeah. the gateway and the doorway with sexuality. It was that degree yes. of vulnerability that yeah. got me there. And it really brought in my face some of my beliefs, some of my, I don't know what better word to use, maybe prudish thoughts about things. Mm-hmm. And then I thought like, okay, I definitely have had sex or been sexual with men who I didn't want to, or I wasn't that into, but mm-hmm. like it was the fifth date. It was socially yeah. acceptable. I'd had two <laughs> glasses of wine. That's okay. But going into yeah. a container with agreements and contracts and safety and because it's out of the norm and because like yeah. I'm not in a relationship or whatever, it, it's amazing what will what will given our context and given our model of the world, what we'll say Mm -hmm. is okay and what we're not. And I think a lot of people are missing a big part of their healing if they're not dealing with the sexual level, because it's so connected to our, our, not just our pleasure, but our energy, our health, our creativity, Mm -hmm. our ability to really pick people we want to be in relationships with that are aligned and on our, from where we want to go versus our past. So it can be such an awakening. And I love that you had your chiropractic practice. You're in your forties, your white picket fence life. And that's such a great metaphor, right? Just living in this white (laughs) picket fence. It's so limiting, 
I, I would love you to share a little bit more, like how did it, how did your mind open up? What was there something that just made you go, Oh my gosh, like I, I've been missing something. Did you have to come up against some yeah. of your own edges or was there like a turning point? Uh, yes. Both that, that I definitely had my own edges. And I think the, the, the first workshop, uh, which was with the body electric school, it was all women. And one of the things that we did there was learn how to give and receive an erotic massage. It was combined with certain breath work that made it a particularly rich experience. There was a lot of sharing, talking about what our experience had been there. And we were all mostly naked. And, and so being in a room of a bunch of other naked people, it's just one of my favorite things to do anyway, but, um, being able to see all these different kinds of bodies was wonderful. Mm. I mean, I'd been in, you know, spas and things before. I wasn't that much improved because I'd been a hippie. So I'd seen a lot of naked people. Mm -hmm. But in this context, sharing that intimately about our sexuality and about our bodies and then having our hands on each other, serving each other. So at one point, I was on the massage table. And there were two women serving me. And it was very, very clear that this was about my experience in my body. It didn't have anything to do with anybody else. We weren't hooking up. We weren't in love. We weren't going to go on a date. You know, we weren't having sex. Uh, it wasn't about the relationship. It was them in service to me so that I could have an experience that was just mine. And that was phenomenal to that, I think, was a big part of taking apart these two things that had been welded together, sex and relationship. Because, you know, as a good girl, you're only supposed to have sex in a relationship and a certain kind of relationship and right. with a certain kind of person. And, you know, and it was supposed to be all about the love and the connection and the yada yada. And it turns out that my body is capable of profound experiences that have nothing to do with anyone. Mm. Mm. And so sex and sexual arousal became uncoupled from relationship. Mm -hmm. And that was incredibly liberating. And it was a big aha and kind of rocked me, you know. Were you in a relationship at the time? No, I mm -hmm. wasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. I imagine that could make it a little tricky if you're in a relationship and you have well, this discovery. And mm -hmm. Yeah, perhaps. Mm -hmm. I'm. Yeah, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because if you think, well, you know, my partner is the the cause of all my sexual enjoyment. Well, I hate to tell you, they're not. Yeah. And if you think they are, then, well, I guess it's pretty natural to think they are if that's the only sex you've had. But when you discover that you own your eroticism. That's what I discovered. I own my eroticism. It belongs to me. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I can bring it out to play with whomever and however, and whenever and however I choose or not, but it belongs to me. 
And if you and I want to play in this field together, you bring yours out and I bring mine out and we'll see what we got. Um, but that, I realized, runs counter to how I think most people grow up thinking of sex is that, you know, it's about relationship of some kind. Yep. Even if it, even if it's a one night stand, that's a that's a kind of relationship. It's a short one. But yep. um yeah. Well, and there can even be, even if it's a one night stand, there can also, if there is sex, there can be that emotional attachment. You can want it to yes. be a relationship, right? So, yeah. and I think yeah. when we don't own our own eroticism, we're more likely to get hooked into something needs to be a relationship if it's not. Yeah. yeah. And man, that takes the pressure off your partner and, too. And you also, yeah, you think, oh, this person's supposed to know how to play me like a violin, you know, right. and th- it's their fault if I'm not happy erotically. Right. Because they don't know how to push the right button. Right. And, yeah. Right. Or they're not attractive enough to me they're, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 That's such a beautiful thing to own our own eroticism. So for people that that might be a completely foreign concept of like really owning their eroticism, what yeah. does that really mean? <laughs> no, it's that's hard. A it's a hard question, question. but <laughs> that's a great question. <laughs> but I know my audience are like, they want specifics. They're like, okay, owning my yeah, eroticism. Well, that sounds good, but question. what are the steps? <laughs> what does that mean to own your own eroticism? It means that my experience of it, of my own eros, my own arousal, my own turn on, my own kind of sensory awakening is my responsibility. I don't depend on you to get me going. Now, we can get each other going. Oh, hell yeah. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. That's great. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm not putting it on your shoulders, making you have to do the right thing. Yeah. You have to do the right thing before I'll get turned on. Mm. Um, knowing how, knowing what turns me on physically and emotionally and as far as the other person's involved, it's not just, you know, you, you've probably heard, oh, you should be responsible for your own orgasm. It's not really quite the same because that to me implies, okay, if if we're fucking, then I have to put my hand in the right place and give myself the right little tweak in order to get myself off. Well, that may be true and that's fine, but that's not really what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is a much more encompassing approach. What does it mean to own your own eros? Well, I think that's one piece, being knowing that it arises from in me, I can reach in and pull it up and bring it out to play anytime I want. Yeah. And yeah. with a person who's not necessarily, quote, attractive relationally, like I, I don't want to be in relationship with this person, but they might be a fun person to play with in this particular way or this other particular way. Or we might have a massage exchange that's really yummy. Mm. So I think that's mainly it. Not expecting somebody else to do the right thing so that you can get turned on. Right. Right. Yeah. And not blaming someone else if you don't. Yes. Um, or waiting yeah. for someone yeah. to, to be your turn on. Um, yeah. I, I love that. I want to talk about shame because I'm mm-hmm. sure that that's been coming up for people as they're listening to. Mm-hmm. Where do we even start with shame? Shame is such a biggie <laughs> when it comes to sexuality. Let's define it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Why don't Let's we define, define it? it? Perfect. 
Well, there are many people who define shame and uh, probably better than I have, but but I think of it as it's not, oh, I did the wrong thing. It's, oh, I am the wrong thing. Mm. And it's characterized by wanting to hide in a hole in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, wanting to disappear. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know how you can grow up in our culture and if you're speaking English, I, you're probably part of our culture some way or other, whether fortunately or unfortunately. <laughs> um, I don't know how you can grow up in our culture without having some degree of sexual shame. Yep. Because, yeah, some of it's taught overtly and some of it you just pick up from movies and your friends and other places. But the amount of shame of – of uh, being seen in pleasure, mm. you know, if your partner's pleasuring you and it's really fabulous, do you let yourself shake and squirm and moan and carry on or, or do you hide that? Mm. Um, you know, mm. do you hold back? Yeah. Do you hold back? Yeah. 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 And how do you feel about your body? You know, what are yeah. you, do oh, you, absolutely. do you need the lights out? Not, do you need a couple glasses yeah. of wine? Are you right. so concerned right. with how someone's seeing you that you're disconnected from your own pleasure? Yeah. Or absolutely. are you so concerned with performing that you're disconnected from your own, your own pleasure or really connecting to the other person's pleasure? I remember after my divorce, yeah. I, first I was celibate for a while because I was just like, I need to focus on me. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, all right, I'm in my thirties. I'm at my sexual peak. And I am going to like be with a lot of men and see what that feels like. And a lot for me is not, it's, just, it's, a, it's a little <laughs> for other people, but it was enough to recognize like that a lot of the men, and this was a reflection of my own sexuality at the time too. Mm-hmm. A lot of the men were going through a series of steps not really paying attention to me or in tune with me or my rhythms or anything. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, this is the part where he pulls my hair a little bit. Okay. You know, like th- it was so scripted. Uh-huh. It felt so, <laughs> it felt yeah. so robotic. And again, I'm not blaming them. Like, obviously this was where I was at the time, but that was part yeah. of my wake up call of like, this feels very performative. It feels very robotic it feels like mutual masturbation in some ways. Like we aren't really connecting. There isn't Mm -hmm. an exchange of eroticism here. There isn't real consent. We're going to get to consent in a second. Mm -hmm. But I I often think that I compensated for my own shame Mm -hmm. by by performing, by being a certain way, doing a certain thing. Yeah. Do we do that? Absolutely. Yeah. Performing of pleasure. Oh, Lord. Yeah. I imagine we've all been there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because we don't really, and this is the great segue to my next question, which is how do we deal with the shame when it comes to our body, our sexuality, our Mm. pleasure? Where do we even begin? Well, I think first of all, a little bit of education helps because it really helps to know that you are not alone that you are not the only one who has mixed feelings about sex and your own sexuality. And you're not the only one who's embarrassed at how you look. And you are not the only one who doesn't know what they wish they knew. And, you know, it's just endemic. So 
give yourself some slack for it, first of all. And it can be really helpful to read other people's stories about their own sexual experiences and their own sexual discoveries, because then you find out that, oh, people are, we're all different and we all have some themes in common as well. And it's fine for me to be who I am and as quirky or ordinary as I am. And talking with other people in a way that you have agreed to talk with other people. In other words, it doesn't necessarily work well to have a conversation over lunch and spill your guts. Right. But if you have an agreement that, you know what, Let, can, let's talk about sex you know, every week for a few weeks and just see what we uncover uh, or with a group of people so that you you know this is what you're going to talk about and everybody has a turn to talk and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. And what really, I, we, we talk about this, I train other practitioners in the work that I do. And one thing that we talk about sexual healing is you're going to have to deal with shame. Yep. Shame is endemic, especially around sex, and and you're going to need to support people in it. And the thing that is a cure for shame is being seen yep. and heard in a way that is supportive and respectful. Because think about it, it when, when you feel shame, you want to hide. Yep. Well, what if you come out from your hole in the ground and it's sunny and there's someone to witness you and applaud you and beam their love at you while you just sit there and feel like shit, then that changes everything. Yeah. That, that changes everything. And that person doesn't have to be a sexual partner. That person mm -mm, can be a friend. No. It can be a therapist. Yeah. It can be a group of people in a workshop. But yeah, yeah just, it's just as long as it's a safe space. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that comes up a lot in my work with people, men and women, is body part shame and yeah. feeling inadequate in some way because something isn't yeah. big enough or something isn't the right shape or it's not the right color or whatever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. How specifically with body part shame, how can actually owning our eroticism help us transmute that? Well, one thing that happens as you start to notice your physical sensation and start to be comfortable with it and start to explore it is that you find that that you find out that you feel so good in your skin that you start to identify your body with how it feels from the inside mm. instead of how it looks from the outside. Mm how it looks from the outside just starts to matter less and less because damn, this feels good in here. You mm. Know? Mm. Um, so that's one thing that I've seen mm. over the years and have experienced myself. And you start to realize it doesn't really matter. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. like someone isn't, Someone doesn't enjoy sex more because they have all the right parts according to porn or whoever oh, is God, the, no. is the, you know, yeah. the, the decider of what's the appropriate yeah. size or shape or color for Definitely. different parts. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. And, but I Not think a lot of times when people have body part shame or body shame at all, 
it, it, it holds them back from owning their eroticism because they think they're inadequate in some way. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And nothing yeah. could be farther from the truth. So yeah. doing this kind of work and owning our eroticism, I think, is an opportunity for people to really step into that lover archetype and, and that Venus and, and pleasure. And mm-hmm. you get so like excited about how your body can feel and what it can do that you get less concerned and shameful about the parts. But I think what you said yeah. earlier too about shame around pleasure and really being able to allow yourself to let go. And that was a big part in my work and my healing, both with a Tantra teacher and with Jonathan and Heike, who I mentioned, of not holding back and especially mm-hmm. sound. That was oh, a yeah. big one for me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like yeah. I was okay with my body moving, but you know, they'd be like, make a sound. And I'd say, oh, <laughs> uh. <laughs> uh, mm. uh, like, what sound? <laughs> no. Like, where's the wild woman? Yeah. You know, and it was, yeah. it's like, oh, wow. This is, I, I have sound. I have all these, these, these sounds mm-hmm. that are coming from me inside and it's just mm-hmm. such freedom and permission. And I, I've actually noticed, I don't, I don't know that anyone else would notice, but I've actually noticed since doing this kind of work, my voice changed. It, mm. the, the tone, the resonance mm-hmm. of it, it really changed. So mm-hmm. yeah. it's such a rich field. Um, I do want to get into consent because I think that okay. part of what, I mean, I know this is a big part of your work and part of I what- I want to say something oh, yeah, else first. Please do, please do. You know, Christine and I have been talking about all these things that you can do uh, with a partner or with a professional. And I want to acknowledge that if you're in relationship, not every relationship has room for growing and learning and exploring. Mm. And it may be that that your relationship kind of works right now, but if you started experimenting, you're afraid it wouldn't. Well, it's true. It might not. I mean, that's a fact. And what I have found that works best, if you can do it, is to have a conversation in which you talk about, I want to experiment. I want to explore. Do you also want to experiment? Do you also want to explore? I want to find out some more things about me. Do you want to find out some more things about you? Because when you can have a context of this is an experiment we're doing here for the next hour, for example, then you can bring your attention to it in a way that's different than just springing this new thing on your partner without any you know, okay, now I'm going to try screaming. I have never screamed before. <laughs> well, you know, uh, you know, that might work. It might not work. So if you can, and that's a kind of a big ask, I realize, if you can have that conversation about I've been learning some things, I want to learn some more about myself, I want to learn to open up or whatever. Again, some relationships are flexible enough to have some focus on learning and healing, and mm-hmm. some aren't. So you have to you have to decide that yourself. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, there are lots of people. There's a there's a profession called sexological body work. You can look that up that people are trained to work with you on this. There are sacred intimates. Um, There are lots of workshops. Um, Body electric school is one. And I'm sure there are more. 
um, the wheel of consent workshops. So Mm -hmm. there are, there are ways to learn and you have to decide if it's something that fits in your relationship or if it's something that you want to do, uh, on your own. I'm so glad you brought that up because that's also true for people aren't in a relationship, right? They can go and pursue things on their own. Before we get to consent, I'd love to explore one more thing and it can be brief. So again, talking about shame around sex and things are bad and oh my gosh, and like that's just wrong and sex is reserved Mm -hmm. for this, you know, all the things we have to get over. So one of the inner conflicts that I ran into, I don't anymore, but I used to run into is I can't be spiritual and sexual. Oh Lord, let's get over that one. (laughs) (laughs) Or for some people, I can't be religious and sexual. I have to do it in a certain way or, you know, whatever. So would you mind just talking briefly (laughs) around how our eroticism actually is a pathway to God and to our spirituality. Yes, absolutely. Ooh, that's a really big question. Sorry. Well, <laughs> if you, if you're, that's a great question. I love it. If you, if your religion says sex belongs in marriage, then by golly, you honor that and you keep your sex in your marriage. No problem with that. Yep. Uh, there's nowhere in here that I'm saying go out and screw everybody. Not at all. And it's likely that that the religious soup that we all swim in in this culture has poisoned our relationship to pleasure and having a body. The way people sort of define religious and spiritual in some cases has been, okay, well, you you deny the body. The body is the bad news. The spirit mm-hmm. is the good news. And so you have to overcome your body in order to be spiritual. And that is so not true. And that creates this split, this dichotomy between their spiritual and their physical and never the twain shall meet. Right. And what I found when I started exploring was the more um, I was not on a particular religious path at that point. But the more I could pay attention to the physicality of my experience, just very physical, what does this sensation right here feel like? The more physical it was, the more spiritual it felt. And I realized hmm. after doing a little brain study that, well, that's because it, it, having that kind of focused attention wakes up certain parts of your brain that tend to make you feel like it one with the universe. Mm. So cool. <laughs> Very cool. Mm. You could call that God. You could call it lots of things, you know, but, um, but I think that the tendency to try to separate spiritual and physical, is just a very sad cultural, mm-hmm. um, yeah, mistake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that if nothing else, you know, we have these bodies, and why are they capable of this much pleasure? Right. If if, if that's not a good thing. Right. Like, right. Why? It, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If it was only to reproduce, that yeah. wouldn't make much sense. You know. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree. It's the same reason why 
I just savor a piece of dark chocolate and love the feel mm-hmm. of wind on my face. And yeah, it's just absolutely. like, oh, I've deprived myself of pleasure for so long. Yeah. I have a body. I probably fought hard to get in this body, you know, like yeah. it's, yeah. it'd be in this human experience. And I don't want to yeah. be on my deathbed and be like, hmm, I really didn't enjoy it. So yeah. I, I love that. And, you know, I think of Tantra and so many people think that's, you know, crazy sexual positions. And it's really about energy and mm-hmm. that kundalini energy that gets us closer to God. So we could spend a whole podcast on that, but we'll just leave it there for a moment and let people kind of unpack that one. Um, so again, shifting to consent, because I know that's one of your areas of expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just start with how do you define consent and why is it important? Oh, it's important because you can have more fun. Mm. Mm. And you can and you can avoid hurting yourselves and each other. That's why it's important. I have been teaching about consent for quite a long time. And a couple of years ago, I decided I should look this up in the dictionary to see what it says. And it says that it's agreeing to do what someone else wants, essentially. Either you're agreeing to let someone else do to you what they want. Or you are agreeing to do something that someone else wants. Mm. So consent means saying yes to someone else's want. Mm. Well, that's pretty important. Yeah. Yeah. But where where in that picture is what you want? Right. It doesn't really fit in that particular definition. So the way I have been using it, and I'm kind of lobbying for and expanding the definition of it. The way I've been using it is more like agreement. Mm. What is our agreement? Do you want to play in this way? Yeah. What's your limit? Well, I want to play in this way, but don't do X, Y, Z. Okay, cool. Right. How's that sound to you? Sounds great to me. Now we have consent. Or will you scratch my back? Sure, for five minutes. Okay, now we have consent. Do you want to go to the movie with me? Well, I want to see this movie, but not this one. Okay, that works. Now we have consent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we we make consent, we make agreements all the time. We just may not notice that that's what we're doing. Right. Will you bring me a cup of tea? Sure. Now you have consent. Right. And this kind yeah. of goes back to asking for what we want as well. Mm-hmm. And. Mm-hmm. Can you give an example of kind of a subtle way that we may not be giving consent? We're kind of just allowing, but there's no consent there and the danger of that. Sure. Oh, my gosh. Lots of them. You're sitting there with a date and they put their hand on your thigh and you think, "Eh, I don't really like that but you're afraid to move their hand off because you don't want to, because you think they're cute and you don't want them to leave or you don't want them to think that you're a stick in the mud or you don't want them to get mad or you just don't know how or you can't get your mouth to work. Mm. And so you just put up with it. Mm -hmm. And I imagine we've all had similar yeah. Circumstances. And tell ourselves it's no big deal. It's just a hand on a thigh. Oh, it's yeah. no big yeah. deal. Yeah. What's wrong with me? I should be okay with that. Why aren't I okay with that? That is the wrong question to ask. 
Um, what, but we, we've all asked it. What's the right question? Um, what is it that I actually do want instead of this? Yep. Yeah. And asking for it. Yeah. 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 It, it's huge when I, and I, yeah. you're, I'm not going to have you go through the whole wheel of consent. Cause I know that takes a long time to explain. Um, but I'm going to put a link to your video where Great. Betty goes through and explains the wheel of consent. And I think it's about 40, 45 minutes, something like that. There's, there's a five minute one now. Oh, there is a okay. minute one now. Okay, there's, perfect. Yes. Yeah. I'll put, I'll put both for, for the long haulers okay. and the ones that want it. Yeah. Um, but I really encourage everyone to go watch that because so many light bulbs will go off for you. And especially if you're dating or in a relationship or want to be in a relationship, knowing which quadrant you're in is incredibly important. So would you mind giving an overview of what the wheel of consent is yeah. and, and why you came up with it? Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy to. At one of these workshops back in my workshop days, I, we learned a game called the three minute game mm -hmm. and it's two people and you ask each other these two questions. You take turns asking each other these two questions. And the questions are, what do you want me to do to you for three minutes? Oh, well, heck, I can think of some fun <laughs> things I want you to do to me. And what do you want to do to what do you want to do to me for three minutes? And, and of course, you can make it longer than that. But three minutes is a great place to start because you can sustain joy for three minutes easier than you can sustain it for an hour, mm. oftentimes. And if you find out that it's something that you don't like and you get, kind of get lost, you, the timer goes off and you get to start over. So three minutes is a great place to start. But once I started playing this game, then I started playing it with clients. What I noticed was in two of the turns, it's for me. And in two of the turns, it's for you. And in two of the turns, I'm touching you. And two of the turns, you're touching me but they don't overlap the way you might think they do. So either I'm doing what you want or I'm doing what I want. And there's a big difference between those two. Or you're doing what you want or you're doing what I want. There's a big difference between those two. Yep. And when you start asking each other those two questions, then you have many, many opportunities to notice Number one, how hard it is to ask for what you want. And you start having some patience for yourself. You notice that it's okay to change your mind. You notice that, am I trying to give more than they ask for? Why am I doing that? Am I trying to like something that I don't like? Why am I doing that? It, everything, everything that you have will show up in one of those questions or the other. Yep. And uh, so that's why it turned out to be so fruitful when I was doing it with clients. Mm. Um, but the, the wheel of consent is essentially noticing that who is doing is a different question than who it's for. So if it's for me, it may be something that I'm asking you to do. Will you scratch my back? Or it may be something that I want to do to you. May I feel you up? Both of them are for me, but in one of them, I'm doing one of them you're doing. So it separates the who's doing and the who it's for question. Yeah. 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 And, it and really, that's, that's what yeah. makes it unique in, in the world of the consent conversation, because 
you don't need the wheel of consent to tell you that consent is a good idea. You already know that. Right. It's it's that who is doing is a different question, and it makes a difference to the experience. It does. That's the part that the wheel of consent brings into the consent conversation. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like if your partner yeah. says, I'd love to give you a massage, and you'd like to just to receive a massage, but then you notice that the massage is pleasuring your partner. And now you think that your partner wants sex. It's like, wait, was a massage for me or so? Yeah. 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 You can't really be in the accepting and receiving place or you think you are. And then it's like, wait, now it's about you. Where, where am I in the wheel of consent? Um, and so it's a beautiful framework for, for empowerment and for asking what we want. So everybody, I'll put the links in the, in the show notes, really encourage you to, to watch either of the videos, um, because it's just such helpful information. And, and especially when you go into the part of like, when you're outside the wheel, (laughs) the the perpetrator and the victim and all those kinds of things, it's like, oh, wow, I can see myself in all of those. So it just helps us take an honest look without self-blame or blaming others takes an honest look because I think part of owning your eroticism is getting clear on consent. And, and yeah. where you are in the wheel of consent, because then you can really, if you know you're in the receiving accepting position and your partner knows they're in the giving serving place and that's clear and there's agreements, oh my gosh, then you can really oh receive. Yeah. <laughs> then you can really, die. yeah. yeah. I think probably the other thing to know about the wheel of consent is that it's a practice mm-hmm. in taking, receiving and giving apart Mm-hmm. So I don't recommend that you live your entire life in the wheel of consent and taking, receiving, giving apart, because then how are you going to play in the middle? But when you can take receiving and giving apart so that it's either all about me for this 10 minutes or whatever, and then it's all about you for this 10 minutes or whatever, then amazing things can happen that can happen no other way. Yeah. No other way. When, when most people think they're trying to do both because we want to be good for both of us and, and we're, you know, kind of we feel too vulnerable to really have it be all about us and we're kind of embarrassed. And so we want to try to make it the other person have a good time giving to us and it gets all mushed up. But when it's really for you and you believe it's for you and you act like it's for you and you're still respecting the other person, of course, then gifts are delivered that are just mind blowing yeah because yeah. you are on one end of the giving receiving or the other you can't do both at once yeah yeah oh Betty, I could talk to you for another several hours. <laughs> Thank you so much <laughs> for for just just your work and embodying it and you know, breaking out of that white picket fence and helping so many people to really own their eroticism. Um, like I said, I'll put the links to the Wheel of Consent in the show notes. Where else can people learn from you and connect with you? I'm on Instagram, the Wheel of Consent on Instagram. And I'm on Facebook some, but really not all that much. The website, bettymartin.org. Yeah, you've got a lot of great resources there. Oh, and the book, of course. (laughs) So I have a book out called The Art of Receiving and Giving, The Wheel of Consent. And you can find that on my website also. And you can get a free chapter download there. um, So it can give you a, a, it'll give you a a good sense of what we have been talking about already. Great. Um, 
Yeah. Great. Lots of resources. And there's lots yeah. of videos on her website, on YouTube. And just, and, go, just put me on YouTube and a yeah, bunch of stuff will come up. A bunch of stuff will come up. Yeah. So I'll link all that in the show notes. It's bettymartin.org is the website. Um, thank you again. This was such a, a fun and empowering and juicy conversation. I, I love being able to talk about sex and eroticism with no shame oh, yeah. and openness and especially woman to woman where I think we've carried so much shame. This is part of, you know, and obviously men and non-binary people, everybody has their, their shame, but as a person in in a female body who identifies as a woman, this has been a huge liberation for me Mm -hmm. to be able to, you know, talk about sex and and my experiences with it. And it's because of educators like you that I've been able to Mm. find my way. So thank you. Thank you. Mm. My favorite topic (laughs) <laughs> to talk about and to, to talk do. about sex. <laughs> so thanks for the invitation. 